What's up, everybody, and welcome to Pace the Nation, broadcasting here in Studio 1A in downtown Arlington, in the heart of Arlington County in Clarendon. I'm your host, Chris Farley. Alongside me today for a big show to my right, Joanna E. Russo. Joanna, what's up? It's uh, 100 degrees outside. <laughs> I know that you hate this, ty- this, this time of year. Well... It's not quite 100. I think you're embellishing a little bit. It feels like 100. I know. It feels like 100. It literally might be 100 on Saturday night for the beer mile. So uh, that is a little bit too bad. I'm with you. But it is what it is. Can't change the weather. We'll talk about the beer mile later on. But before that, we want to introduce our other co-host. It's William E. Docs. Docs, what's up? Well, you say you can't change the weather, but isn't that... Weather machines, isn't that what uh, evil scientists in the 1970s were trying <laughs> we, to do? We, we are not going to uh, we're not going to buy weather machines this week. Or storm. If we had storm, couldn't yeah. you change the weather? I or, believe that's an X-Men yeah. reference. What, but here's, here's what I'm saying. Like, given days like today and weekends like this weekend, isn't James Bond the bad guy in those movies looking back on it? <laughs> Well, if, if James Bond is stopping this guy in his weather machine, yeah, like is. wouldn't it be like wouldn't that guy be great if he could have just made my my miserable run today Bond, better? How dare you? Yeah, I think I think we need to go back and look at the the whole James Bond franchise if through a different just, lens. If they had just written the story differently mm-hmm. and allowed the weather machine people to win, mm-hmm. we would have weather machines for today and for Saturday. And and then Joanna could live in a winter storm every day of her life. That'd be amazing. Yeah, a storm. You'd rather a storm than a day like today. Well, yeah. If yes. I had to choose between daily okay. today or a storm, I would choose snow 100% of the time. I've already been Googling like Akita, Alaska and Moose Lake, Maine. Mm-hmm. You should live with the penguins. You should be like the queen of the penguins. <laughs> the folks up at Skinny Raven do listen to the program. I'm mm-hmm. sure they'd love yeah, to JC. have... Yeah, JC. Yeah, I'm sure they'd love to have you up there. Uh, I'm sure they, they, they actually do want us to visit I, at some point. I literally was about thinking that. about this on my run today, yeah. which which went terrible. Yep. I was literally thinking about, because I have friends up in Anchorage, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to write them and see if they can get me an apartment for the for the next two months. I have never been to Alaska. All right. Yeah, I think well. your your quest to go to uh, Las Vegas should <laughs> no. be... Should be <laughs> Low, lower. Lower, yeah. yeah. I think I think you should go to Alaska. Well, speaking of Las Vegas, we are going to have today, I'm very excited about our guest. Uh, She spent a lot of time in Las Vegas, and she's here to talk about her book and her book club appearance. It's going to be Susie Faber Hamilton. She's a a three-time Olympian in 92, 96, and 2000. She's here to promote her book, Fast Girl, and also promote her appearance at the Navy Yard Store on July 17th. So really psyched to have Susie Favor Hamilton on today's program. And I don't know if, if our listeners just noticed how professionally Farley just transitioned from <laughs> our opening to, but he's, somebody has clearly been uh, brushing up Coaching on his, me? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been brushing up. I, I This is a big interview. I mean, she's been mm-hmm. interviewed by 2020, mm-hmm. Dr. Phil, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the uh, chumps compared to the, us. Those the, the likes of those folks. I wanted to make sure that I was uh, ready to uh, to, to ha- you know ready to to, to do a uh, professional good interview. This today. is this is like when I wear a nice shirt. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, is Susie Favor Hamilton? Is she related to the play? No, she's related to uh, who, who's on the ten dollar bill? Alexander Hamilton. That's it. Father of finance. That's it. Inventor of the telephone. Now I know that's not right. I know that's 
Alexander Graham Bell. Mm. Is that right? It's debatable. Well, I know that Bell was a telephone company. Mm-hmm. Why isn't why wasn't Graham a telephone company? Because they were making crackers. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. All right. We figure we we figure the world out here on Pace the Nation. See, so finally, you know the thing is like today you have to be really specialized in what you do. Right. But back then, like Alexander Graham Bell could do stuff like telephones and graham crackers. Uh, wow. You could be very diversified Jack in your inventing. Jack of all trades. Nice. Yeah. And people could, there was like nothing was invented. So people could invent a hundred things a day. Well, I'm glad we don't fact check on this, mm-hmm. this, this program. Uh, is that the one who's going to be kicked off the bill? No, that's Andrew Jackson. That's Andrew Jackson. Yeah, he's on the 20. Off the 20. All right. Well, the point was, is that we have Susie Favor-Hamilton on the show today. Uh, Excited to talk to her about her book, Fast Girl, and her appearance uh, July 17th at Navy Yard for the latest book club event. And there's still uh, still spots available for that book club, runpacers.com backslash book club. You can check that out and still buy a spot to see Susie Favor on July 17th. Am I going to that? Yes, you are. Am I allowed to go? You are allowed do to I have, go. Do I have to do anything in order no, to go? Just show, show up. up? Show up. 6.30, July 17th. You can just show up. Uh, he was pointing at me. <laughs> also on today's program, we have a In the News segment that we just really have one topic, and we'll get to that later today in the program, and then we'll touch on the beer mile that we will be at, because of course, Pace the Nation is the official media partner of the nautical beer mile which happens this saturday night but before we get to Susie favor hamilton and the olympic trials talk did you guys have a good fourth well as i mentioned last week i had zero plans on the fourth yes that's right Uh, and i actually was very excited that it rained all day on all the barbecues that people (laughs) didn't invite me to right yeah that's right. It did rain all day. I was away. Yeah. I would have invited you to a barbecue. I would have invited you to our barbecue. At you would have invited me to your house to cook at your barbecue. <laughs> I probably would have done that. And I would have been happy to do that, to be honest. <laughs> but, yeah, I uh, was at Deep Creek Lake, so I could not invite you, or I would have. Mm-hmm. Joanna, how was your 4th of July? Um, it was good. I actually thought the weather was pretty nice because I like when it's overcast, it was cooler, cool. and rainy. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was, it was fine. Did you see the fireworks that night? Um, you know, I actually didn't see the fireworks. Mm. Um, I did go down the street to a friend's house for a barbecue, but we were watching track when the fireworks started. So I, I didn't see fireworks on the fourth because where I was at, they actually played the fire or did the fireworks on the fifth because of the rain at Deep Creek Lake. So I stayed at home and watched the trials, but also watched the fireworks on PBS which were fireworks from years prior. Well, that proves Dox's point about how fireworks haven't changed in years. That's right. People were up in arms about that. They were showing fireworks from like two years ago where it was nice and clear on PBS. And they were at the, the mall. And the giveaway was that the Capitol didn't have scaffolding on it. So they showed fireworks on a clear day with no scaffolding on the Capitol. A lot of people who watch PBS watch Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they should have People known. were up in arms. Yeah. I mean, were your Twitter feeds not blowing up? Oh, you're off social media. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's why. Um, I will say that I did have both dogs and Toki was very afraid of the fireworks. And at <laughs> one point I thought I lost him and he was like wedged in the corner behind the couch. And every time a firework would go off, he'd like shimmy a little closer. 
Um, and then Luigi was just sprawled out on the couch, like snoring, loving, so, loving that he had the nice. couch to himself. Yeah, he That's didn't fantastic. care. He's like Joanna. We should do fireworks more often. <laughs> I I sometimes think that perhaps Luigi is hard of hearing and yeah. I realized that I actually taught him all of his commands like sit st- everything I taught him was a hand signal mm-hmm. so maybe he really doesn't hear anything maybe wow did you, don't you take him to like a vet that tells you that or can tell you that yeah but I don't know how they check for like right, dog's maybe hearing they don't. Yeah. I'm not sure that with the dog whistle <laughs> I guess they could do that yeah. yeah but they don't you're right I'm not sure if they've ever checked London's hearing she can definitely hear yeah <laughs> she doesn't listen but she can hear <laughs> yeah. all right so we're about to have Susie favor hamilton on the program we're going to talk about her book fast girl and i think most of us have read the book or most of the book i just started reading it mm-hmm. i'm up to page 55 all right so i can ask a lot of questions about high school and and, and first year of college all right we'll we'll have we'll have you do the heavy lifting on that part but Sorry, Susie. I will read the rest of the book. I'm, I'm still working on it. It's it's a it's a good story about her from high school, her high school running, and her family life, and you know goes into her her collegiate running and professional running, and then really tells the story of of mental illness all all along the way. Talks about her, you know, having issues with an eating disorder as as a youth, and then in college, and then talks about her being bipolar uh, when she becomes an escort in Las Vegas. Uh, and that's really where the bulk of the book is. And I found it extremely compelling, and I thought that uh, she does a great job of, of tying it back into mental illness, uh, tying it back into uh, her being bipolar. So really more than just a running book. It's a runner who struggled with mental illness issues most of her life, and it's a really fascinating read, especially if you grew up seeing her winning all of these races and, and reading about her winning all of these races. She was so dominant in the sport. Yeah, I mean, we grew up, and I remember her at the 2000 Olympics thinking that she was going to win the gold medal and her falling. And I remember the story of her falling and then the story being she had she was dehydrated. And then later you find out in the book that she just fell just because her anxiety was so high and she just couldn't take it. And it's just an, it's an amazing it's an amazing story of someone who, you know, one of the best athletes on the planet and what she was struggling with while she was be able to accomplish so much on the track. And I think it gives a voice to a lot of um, struggles that young females have to be perfect, to be in control of everything, to not mess everything up. So yeah, I think we there is a lot that you can take away from the story and it's a it's a really like i said one of my i don't read many books but one of my mm-hmm. favorite books i've read this year you didn't read it you listened to it I listened to it. <laughs> so with that next up excited to be joined by nine-time ncaa champ and three-time olympian Susie favor hamilton next on pace the nation All right, welcome back to the program, and now excited to be joined by Susie Favor-Hamilton. Her book is Fast Girl, A Life Spent Running from Madness. She, of course, will be with us on July 17th there at Navy Yard for a book club event, uh, our second book club event. Susie, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, we are excited and thrilled to have you. We want to talk a lot about uh, Fast Girl 
for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. But first, you're a nine-time NCAA champion at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a three-time Olympian, 92, 96, and 2000. Um, have you been watching the Olympic trials? Um, I basically have just been Googling results. Not that I don't want to watch it. I just have been really busy, like we all are. Yeah, for for sure. And, yeah, because the, the uh, 1500, which was the event you specialized, starts to, the women's 1500 starts tonight. Are you, so you, you are following, are you still kind of a fan of the sport? Oh, absolutely, definitely. And, um, you know, I still know people that are in these events, so it's kind of fun when, with track and field, it's fun when you know the athletes versus not knowing them. So it's exciting. Susie, do you have any predictions for the women's 1500? I really don't. Um, it would be interesting, uh, Brenda Martinez, you know, she was in the 800 and she fell. Um, she's a, a wonderful person and a friend of mine, and she's also doing the 1500. So I am rooting for her. I think this podcast is all rooting for her as well. I think she, oh, good. She had a, uh, she had a tough... Uh, Tuesday night there uh, in the the eight hundred meter final. So also Monday when it happened. Oh, when Monday night <laughs> yeah. when it happened. Yeah. So oh be- she handled. I thought she handled herself so well. I'm, I'm just really impressed. Yeah, she was. She was awesome. So uh, hopefully she does well. It'll be exciting to see the next uh, few days how that plays out. Uh, so you had yeah. uh, such a decorate. Are you the most decorated athlete still uh, in, in the NCAA history? Yes. That, that is so that's that, kind of cool. That is it is it is amazing, <laughs> and the book talks about uh, you know your running, and of course your time at, at Wisconsin, and then life as a professional runner. So yeah. you you had battles with the likes of Patty Sue Plummer and of course Mary Decker Slaney early on, and then you know your real rival was Regina uh, Jacobs, who you know later it was found that she uh, was a. Uh, busted uh, drug uh, user and doper. How does that but sit with you today? Same with Mary. Mary um, also, Decker Slaney, had um, testosterone. So there's lots of, you know, a lot of controversy with the runners that I competed against. Yeah, how does that sit with you t- today, you know, as you look back on it, you know, almost 20 years years later? You know, it's, um, it's interesting because I honestly don't think about it you know, anymore when I was competing, you know, I was always reminded of it when I was racing against them. But there's so much in life now, um, you know, with my bipolar and, you know, my family, that it's something that seems really insignificant at this point in my life, whereas when I was in it, it was huge. But once you're out of the sport and you're really living life, um, the sport does feel very small in comparison of what's out there to explore. And um, so honestly, you know, when I do think about it or look back, like in this interview, looking back at it, it it's, it's completely unfair. But yet, at the same time, we need our governing body to step up and do something about it instead of covering it up. Like when I was competing, these things were covered up. And USA Track and Field still has a long way to go where the athletes can actually trust them. And that's unfortunate that our own governing body we can't trust. 
I think once that does happen and they try to clean up the sport as much as they can, they'll never be able to completely clean it up. If they make a better effort, I think we can have more people interested in track and field. Yeah, and you mentioned in your book, uh, you know, you were approached, I don't remember exactly where you were, I think you were doing races overseas, was somebody point blank asking you, you know, to use drugs because that was going to take you to the next level. How did you, you, do you remember that and how did you respond? You know how you remember certain moments in your life, defining moments? I remember that moment so vividly. And this was a very high-profiled meat promoter in Europe, one of the biggest meats in Europe. And when he pulled me aside and took me to his office, and he told me basically in so many words that I needed to do drugs because I could help the sport. And I just, I was shocked. I couldn't believe this is somebody that I trusted that I looked up to who is now telling me to be corrupt, like the system with so many other athletes. That that had an effect on turning me away from the sport, um, from the sport that I already was dealing with, uh, Regina Jacobs, who everybody knew was um, doing drugs, and um, everybody knew it was being covered up. So it, it was devastating. It was really just one more blow um, towards my feelings with track and field at that time. You know, Susie, as I read your book, one of the things that struck me as we continue to talk to Susie Favor-Hamilton about the book Fast Girl, A Life Spent Running from Madness, is that I, I didn't feel like you were really proud of your running accomplishments. I mean, you were such an accomplished athlete. But you didn't seem like, as you recalled these these races and meets you went to, that you were even uh, proud of these accomplishments. Is that is that fair or not? Um, you know, it's I guess you can take it in different ways, but I'm I'm definitely proud of what I've done and how fast I could run and maybe the impact I had on athletes at that time. But, again, when I look at the big picture of my life, you know, the biggest, um, the most important journey that I had was overcoming this huge, huge destruction that I did to myself because of my illness. So it's hard to look back on everything um, with amazement because, for me, the biggest journey and the best accomplishment is has been overcoming uh, what happened in Vegas and learning how to deal with my bipolar. But I don't ever want to make it sound like I'm not proud at all because I am very proud um, of the nine NCAA championships and you know my three Olympic teams. I'm, I'm very, very proud of those. But um, I think with sports, we have to, we can live in that moment for the rest of our life or we can decide to focus on bigger and better journeys ahead of us. And I think that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm looking for other exciting outlets in my life that I don't dwell on my past accomplishments because I feel like I can accomplish so much more. I hope that makes sense. No, I, I, I definitely do. And I, I, it is a great story, and, and you, you do a great job of promoting you know mental mental illness and and you know i think what was really great about the book for me is that 
you always tied the the writing back into mental illness and kind of sum things up from a perspective of you being bipolar or, or having, you know, an eating disorder, which were really tough things for you to tackle. But I thought that was great. Obviously, that was one of the things that you meant to do in the book, right? Right. Yeah, because, you know, the sport caused me so many great moments, but then it also caused so much destruction in my life. So that's why I'm kind of torn with it when it comes to talking about track and field. I, I see the negativity on, you know, with the eating disorder and um, having to have a certain body image, having a breast reduction because I was told in so many different ways that my body didn't look like a runner. And just the anxiety that I suffered in races, the perfection, trying to please everybody. So the sport, to me, and what I did is I made it so much worse than it had to be. And that was my own doing. It wasn't anybody else's. So if I could go back into the sport and have a healthy frame of mind and enjoy every moment and not worry what others thought about me or trying to please everybody and just being myself, having my own voice, I think I would have better memories of the sport. Well, the book was a page-turner for me. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, and I encourage all our listeners to, to go out and, and get it. Uh, I'm interested in, in someone with, with some of the things you, you were challenged with, with anxiety and and, and having problems really sitting still. How were you able to write a book? <laughs> it was a very difficult yeah. thing. And the book took two years to write. And, you know, right when everything came out in the media, I had decided immediately that I was going to write a book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am not in a healthy place at all. And I'm already thinking, i got to write a book. And it wasn't it had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with getting my life back because that's when all the negative press came out. And so I, I wasn't in a place, and nobody, everybody around me was advising me, don't talk, which was really good because I wasn't in a healthy frame. I didn't even know at that time why I had done what I did. So writing the book became a process became a healing process for me. And in looking back, you know, there were parts that were so difficult to talk about, but I knew that I had to talk about it in order to show the destruction that my life was going in and helping others to be able to talk about their destruction, their stories, their mental illness without feeling shame. Because somehow our society in many ways likes to shame us for things that are bizarre instead of trying to find out what the real reason there's so much speculation that causes harm if if writing the book was therapeutic for you at least to to get the stories out um is it difficult for you now to to rehash the stories and as you promote the book it is. You know, um, some days when I'm doing interviews, the other day I did 24 radio interviews in a row. And when I was done, I was it was almost like I had relived it all again. And those particular days are difficult because I know I've, I'm, it's a trigger. I'm triggering myself and I have to definitely go out and exercise or go for a run 
because because it is so painful. It's still hard to go there, but it's part of educating people. So I can't not talk about it. In my, I feel that I can't talk about it. You know, other people may not want to talk about their issues, but for me, um, I'm on this journey to educate people, and um, it's. I know it's working because of all the emails I do receive from people who are now sharing their stories with me, which is a, a great sign of recovery. Well, you grew up in a time where I think a very different time where, you know, mental illness wasn't talked about much, and your family didn't sound like that you guys talked about uh, mental illness or was sort of taboo. Looking back on it now, do you think your outcome would be different if you grew up here and, you know, the, the, the time that your daughter's growing up, where maybe it is a little bit more accepted and people understand mental, mental illness more? I do think it would have made a big difference, and that's why, with my daughter, my husband and I are, are taking the approach of educating her early and talking about things and talking to her about my story and what had happened and the bizarre things that her mother did. She she knows completely my story and you know, she she was recently at a TV interview with me. Um, and she was in the green room and she could watch me talking and she had a few questions that she didn't know about from my story. And we discussed it, and it was like, oh, okay, I didn't know that happened before that. And then we just move on to the next thing. It's not like she's shocked. Um, Kids want honesty. They want to know what's going on, and they're curious. You know, if if two parents are arguing, they want to know. If my husband and I have a disagreement, she wants to know what we're disagreeing about. And sometimes it's a child can know, and sometimes um, this is more between us. But just being honest is really, I think, super important with kids. And and your husband and your spouse, it, it's the key to having a good relationship is having trust. Well, I, I felt like, for me reading it, I felt like it was a true love story, kind of cheesy there, because Mark never you know, wavered in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, he seemed like he was just so committed throughout the whole thing. Uh, their support yeah. has been, uh, you know, amazing throughout and even now today, right? It is. And, you know, I'm still in amazement um, how he handled everything, and especially my recovery. I'm still, you know, I still get the chills when I think about it that, he immediately focused on the illness and not my behavior. And this has been a key in my public speaking about how important it is to have that support and to focus on the illness because I would have to say that's the number one thing in recovery is having the loved ones support you and understand the illness. Because Mark could have easily walked away, because that's the easy route. And he took the hard route of figuring out the illness, sticking with me, going through therapy, um, because he wanted to keep the marriage. And we need more people like that that are willing to go in and go through the hard process of getting recovery and making things better. Because it wasn't just between Mark and myself. It was our daughter who 
really kept us together to want to work things out. Um, and what a blessing she is to have in our lives to save our relationship. And she knows that. She knows that she saved us. And um, she's pretty proud of that. Susie, you also suffered from an eating disorder when you were younger, running in high school and college. Do you have any advice for young runners, uh, particularly young female runners, who might be also struggling with uh, eating disorders? Yeah, it's, you know, eating disorders are a sign of mental illness. So, you know, maybe we need to educate adults more because um, when young girls have an eating disorder, they don't really see anything wrong with themselves, and they think just getting thin is, is the way to be a faster runner, when really there's underlying issues that are driving them to be thin. With eating disorders, it's not about the food, even though they're not eating food or they're purging and they're bulimic or anorexic. It's, it's about control. Something is out of control in their life, and when it comes to food, they have full control so they can decide not to eat, and nobody's going to tell them what to do. Nobody's going to force them to eat. So there's a, it's a huge, huge sign of a mental illness. Now, you, you can't tell somebody with an eating disorder to go have a steak, go eat a lot of food. That's not the cure. Um, psychologists, psychiatrists, that's when they really need help. And in my case, nobody knew about my eating disorder. Um, my parents were always saying, oh, you should eat more. But that was the worst thing they could do because now they're trying to control me. And um, so if they said, oh, you should eat more, then I pulled back and said, no, I'm not going to eat at all then. So it's, a, it's an illness that really needs to be addressed right from the start because it, it can cause so many problems down the road with having your period and having a child down the road, which to me is the best accomplishment in, in my life is having a child. Thank goodness I got help and was able to overcome this early on because I couldn't imagine losing that gift of having a child. So we, you know, we, we do a running podcast, obviously, and a lot of people don't understand, you know, mental illness or bipolar. You know, they would look at right. you and just think that, you know, you have everything and just so impressed with your running talents. Tell us, you know, what, what, is, what is it like to be bipolar? What is bipolar? Well, first of all, you are right about people that are judgmental or, you know, people will say to me, oh, you're still a slut, you're a whore, you're just using this as an excuse. And those are the people that we may never change their view, but maybe they're listening out there, um, and maybe they're ignorant, or maybe they're just never going to be capable of understanding so my journey is to educate and hopefully help these people to have more compassion. And if we can have that compassion, we can save lives by not shaming people. But I forgot what the point was that you wanted me to answer. So I, I, I was just just <laughs> saying, what what is what are the what are the symptoms? What 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 is the symptoms of being bipolar? Okay, great question. 
So in, um, in many cases, hypersexuality is a big sign of bipolar, of having bipolar. And it's, hypersexuality is where you're consumed with the spot of sex. You're out doing risky behaviors, uh, sexually, where you're not even conscious or thinking about the consequences that go along with your behavior. And you're not even really, you don't even um, think about what might happen to your loved ones mm-hmm. from what you're doing. And you, for me, the symptom is talking a mile a minute, just rapid speech, um, loud, kind of obnoxious. Um, bipolar is um, a mood shift from extreme highs to extreme lows. So if you notice that in somebody, just the bizarre behaviors. Um, believe it or not, excess spending is another sign of bipolar. And not just like retail therapy spending, crazy spending where you may go out at night and, you know, buy a pair of shoes for $1,000 and a whole wardrobe for another 2000 where you're just not thinking, you're just doing um, all these activities that feel good, drugs, alcohol, um, sex, again, these are all signs of um, bipolar and that you're trying to use something as a coping mechanism to feel good from the illness and from, you know, past experiences. Something that triggers you can bring on bipolar, whether it's a death or, you know, some confusion in your life with relationships. Um, there's so many different things. But I think um, the behaviors in my case were addressed when I was outed um, by a doctor who talked to me for a good week before he diagnosed me. He pretty much knew the day I came in from talking to me that I was bipolar. But um, they just want to take their time and make sure that you are, um, that the illness is bipolar so they give you the right medication. So obviously, a, a symptom for you too was you being Kelly, and I, I wanted to uh, ask you about that. First of all, I was impressed with you were a real entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur myself, <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you, I was, I was really impressed. But you really didn't care about the money, did you? What, what did you do with the money? I never got that from the book. With the bipolar, I definitely had that excess spending. Um, when I was in Vegas, I would just buy crazy stuff. You know, I'd go buy, like in the book, I talk about how I walk by a window and I see a Louis Vuitton purse for $2,000. I don't even hesitate. Just walk in, and I handed her, you know, all $100 bills, the lady, and didn't even think about it. Got that purse. I felt good. Um, I spent over $50,000 on basically crap. Wow. Stuff that I don't even need, um, you know, whether it was from, you know, fancy clothes to fancy shoes to jewelry. Um, It's just crazy. To expensive lingerie when I was in Vegas, I just bought whatever I saw. I was very compulsive. Did you you need to get rid of all that stuff to kind of help move forward and recover, or do you still have some of those items? Um, I have some of those items, but I don't 
see them, they're like put in a crate. Yeah. And it's a thing where um, I probably should eventually just, I'll just get rid of it. But I think there's a part of me that keeps it to know that, yeah, I was there in my life and look at how far I've come from that. I'm not running from it. I'm not pretending it never happened. So I guess that's kind of why I have some of this stuff. But it, it's not to look at it or to wear it. It's more to see that I've really progressed and I'm in a good place now. Did anybody from your past as being Kelly, did anybody reach out to you after or have they tried to reach out to you over the years? Have you been able to shut that off totally? Yes, but people have reached out to me from that world. And it's interesting because I didn't talk about it in the book because um, I didn't want to hurt my loved ones. And now that time has passed, I feel like I can talk about it. But after my story came out, um, I was still seeing people because the medication, when you are given new medication, I was still on the medication that was making me hypersexual, and they were slowly taking me off of it because they, they knew if they just took me off right away, I could be suicidal. And mm-hmm. so they put me on a new medication. So nothing changed for two months. I was the exact same person, even though I'm getting therapy and I'm taking medication. So I still saw clients secretly, and nobody knew that I was doing this. Wow. Um, because I didn't have any coping mechanisms. And here I am, I, looking back, I should have gone to a facility for recovery. But at that time, there's no way I would have done that. But in hindsight, I probably should have been forced into recovery. So that's another thing people need to know. You know, it's just like being an alcoholic. You slip up sometimes, and you may have that drink. Um, The same thing for me in my recovery. So sex was the coping mechanism from my problems. And at this point, oh, my God, the problems are really bad because a lot of the world, a lot of the running community is telling me how horrible I am right. and how I've shamed them. So now I'm I'm in the worst place in my life. I need something, and that's what I knew kind of numbed everything for me in the world. So it does make sense why I was still doing that at that time. Well, I, I can't believe people don't... I was rooting for you throughout the... I mean, you were a sweet person, even to these people who, you know, may have been, right. you know, moral... You can say whatever you want about their morals, but you were really caring to everybody you came in contact with. Absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of that is just um, my personality. I, You know, I, I see somebody homeless on the street, and I'm there to look them in the eye and ask them if they're okay. Um, they're human beings. I'm, I'm very much sensitive to making people happy still um, and pleasing people. But at least now I know I can't please everybody and I have to look out for myself first. So this journey has it's, it's taken um, a long time to get here. But it's also made sense of so much in my life. 
and being Polly, who is my um, second identity, she was the strong, powerful woman. And so much of what she was, I've taken with me into my my world now and my personality now. And how are you doing now? I'm I'm doing very well. I feel like I'm very stable. Um, I always use the word content because I'm not on these extreme highs and I'm not on the extreme lows, but I'm just kind of in the middle. But I don't know if that's what it feels like to be normal, but what is normal? I still don't know what normal is. Right. But I always ask. I always ask my husband. I'm like, so does this get you excited or? Does this make you sad? Or, you know, one of the questions I always have from is, don't you feel like you need to exercise? If you haven't exercised for a whole week, does it change your mental state? And he's like, no, it, it doesn't. And for me, that's hard to comprehend because I need to exercise pretty much every day. I can get by without exercising for two days, but it's so important to my mental state. Um, and I think the medication has helped me now to be able to take a day or two off. So I'm hoping eventually I can be a person who could take a week off like my husband and be okay with it. Yeah. I, but I don't know about you guys. I, don't, if you I have a hard time with that, too. I, I can barely t- I, I know the three of us have harder times taking days off, too. So we're more like you than Mark. So <laughs> I don't know. Right. It just it just has it's it's just difficult for me uh, to take to take time off. But I'm with him. I think that uh, you know, healthy it is healthy to be able to just take a week and be okay with it. So, and I think most of our listeners would agree with that and can relate to that. Um, you were on Pro, you were on Prozac. You were on Zoloft. You're on. Are you on different medications? Have you found the right medication now? Yeah, I was. You know, originally I was on Prozac. I didn't like the side effects. Mentally, I was doing good, but I didn't like the weight gain, especially having an eating disorder. That's the last thing um, I wanted to deal with. And so um, when I went on the second drug, the Zoloft, that was the drug that was bad for me. That's the one. If you're bipolar, you sh- they on the label, it states you should not be given this drug because there is the possibility of the hypersexuality and bringing on mania, which is a very destructive place to be. So I'm off the Zoloft. I'm on a new drug called Lamicto that has worked in many cases with bipolar. And um, I'm also on a, a drug for my ADHD, which has been amazing in being able to focus and read books and listen. And it's been amazing. Well, that's awesome. Um, so a couple uh kind of on the lighter side of the questions. Um, so when you're in Vegas, we always, when we go to Vegas, Docs and I go to Vegas, it, we have a hard time finding a place to run. Where do you, where do you go for a run in Vegas? Or did you do the well, treadmill? It was interesting because when I was in Vegas and when I was manic, another sign is enormous energy. Right. You just never tire out. You, you don't have to sleep. Um, so I would just hop on a treadmill because it's, too hot to run outside in the desert, and you don't run on the Vegas Strip. Right. For me, I would hop on a treadmill for an hour, and I had no problem being just doing an hour run. Um, so it, 
that's where I ran, and I was doing half marathons at that time. So it was normal for me in my secret world to go run a half marathon for rock and roll marathon and then fly to Vegas and have appointments that night. It never crossed my mind that this was bizarre. That's incredible. That I was, yeah, I mean, I would be in another state, and I think I told about my most manic moment where I ran a half marathon in a different state in the morning. It was my fastest half marathon, high as a kite, and then um, flew to Vegas that night. And this is crazy, but I had five appointments that night, went to my hotel, could barely sleep with that for who knows how long. And um, that was kind of the typical life for me there. I could just go, 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 because the city never slept. And so it was the worst place for somebody in my condition to be. Yeah, it's amazing to me to think you're hanging out with Meb or Frank Shorter and then you have appointments that night. It's just mind-blowing to me that that, that you could transition that from, from one state to a totally separate state. And it, it was hard when I was doing these appearances because to me, in my manic state, I remember thinking, why Why are we doing this? This is so boring. we got to go where the action is. Right. You know, my brain, my brain couldn't be there. And these are great people and great stories and, you know, runners are there to, to listen and get advice and tips, but I couldn't focus on that. All I could think about is, can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get to Vegas. Um, again, just a crazy state. You know, I, I think about if I never was discovered. I would probably have died from a drug overdose. Wow. And that, that's because I was starting to get into drugs because I needed to intensify the high. And um, with everything in my personality, I can't say no. I need more and more. Um, and I would, have, I would have just overdosed. I know it. So you are now not living in Wisconsin. So where, where are you living now? I live in Los Angeles, and um, I live in a, a beach town um, called Manhattan Beach. Okay. And living here has been an incredible change for me because, first of all, people here don't even care what you've done or been through. There's really no judgment. Um, so I like that about this area. And there's always something to do, and there's I can exercise. The weather's always good. So the environment is a key in my recovery, um, and I have lots of good friends out here so, who are very supportive. So it's been a great change, and I still visit Wisconsin. It's still a great place, but um, for me, you know, so many of my problems develop there that it's just not a healthy place for my mind to be. All right, Susie, I'm going to ask another uh, question that's really off topic here. Um, sure. But I had four posters of runners in when I was in college. Uh, three were current at the time. I'll admit it, it was the late 90s. Uh, and one of them was from the 1968 Olympics. Can you guess who the four posters were? Um, which Olympics was that last one? The 1968 Olympics. No, it was 64 Olympics because I know it was Tokyo. It. Yeah. 
I have no idea who that one yeah, is. Yeah, this is a tough, tough question, Docs. Yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of throwing that, a curveball here. Not advanced some trivia <laughs> test, but that's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I have no idea. Can you tell me who that was? Well, that's just one of the posters. But what about the other three? The other three were current runners in 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 the nineties. Current distance runners okay. in the nineties. Um, I'm trying to think which who had posters. Um at that time uh steve scott do you remember steve scott he was good, like the first good guess but that he's shaking okay. his head no no mm. okay was it a woman or a man well that's giving too much away <laughs> <laughs> he's tough i did have a poster i did have a poster I yeah you got it good. that's one yeah. of them yeah. so Susie favor was one of them Su- yep you were one of them Oh gosh! No, there were three other ones. Yeah, I, um, I think we're gonna. I'm gonna need to. I, I don't even know what he's saying, but I'm not sure what his the answer is either. So I think you're gonna have to just go ahead and uh, tell her. Tell her. Tell yeah. Her. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Bob Kennedy, Todd Williams, and Billy Mills. Oh, there we go. Oh, nice. All right. Very good. Very good. Very good selection. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You did good. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for approving of my uh, college poster nice. selection. <laughs> yeah, I never. Um, I always had when I was younger with Mary Decker Slaney. I had her picture on my wall. You know, we all idolize somebody. It's it's nice to have that to look up to. So, I had I had one off topic question too. So, what was the toughest interview that you've done other than this interview, which is mm-hmm. very hard hitting and tough? Yeah, but you were on Doctor. <laughs> Dr. Phil in 2020, what was the toughest interview that you did after this whole ordeal? Well, Dr. Phil was an asshole, so I think it's oh, really? to say I don't even have the time to talk about him because there's nothing good to say about He's all about ratings and yeah. destruction. He's not even a doctor, so um, we don't have time to talk nice. about him. Nice, okay. But he's not worth it. Good. Um, but I did I did one interview. Um, it was somebody from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, oh, my gosh, they're still coming up right away. But he, he was just very judgmental and negative. And this is right when the book came out. And I wasn't really prepared for something like that, for somebody who was crucifying me. So I would have to say that was the worst interview but other than that, um, it was pretty good, except, you know, you had a few of these sports jock radio shows that just wanted to focus on the facts and basically were, you know, talking about how they wanted to have a threesome. And it, it was kind of bizarre at that time because I know the sex was what enticed people into wanting to listen about the story. But yet our society is sex is a taboo, but yet we want to talk about it. So it was interesting. I've I've learned how to handle all of that now. So yeah. I'm totally okay with you that. Are, you are definitely a pro. Well, uh, we, we really appreciate you joining us. I wanted to close with that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you, you saw that uh, a uh, bill was passed, I think, yesterday, Helping Families and Mental Health Crisis Act was passed yesterday so you know your story and other stories out there like that is they're not it's not going unnoticed now uh, to congress and people of that sort so i think that is just awesome yeah it's we're starting to open up 
doors and talking about it, and we need society to not look at it and shame it or, or look at it as a taboo because one out of five people suffer from mental illness. And just think about all those people that are going undiagnosed or without treatment. And that's really sad that these people aren't getting help and the help that they deserve because if they had cancer, they would be there immediately with the doctor. But unfortunately, mental illness doesn't show up. Um, and on an x-ray or, or some blood test. So it's something that is going to take time. And, and with the right research, big strides can be made. But that, in, that entails a lot of money. So hopefully we can get more people on board and more money raised would be nice. Well, your book is is certainly doing its part. It's the book is by Susie Favor Hamilton with Sarah Tomlinson. Tomlinson. It's Fast Girl: A Life Spent Running from Madness. Uh, she's going to be here in D.C. and I know it's already a packed house, guys. But I think there's still spots available to come see her July seventeenth at uh, Pacers Navy Yard. Uh, are you looking forward to coming to D.C.? I really am. I mean, what a great city. And actually, my husband and my daughter will be coming, too. That's awesome. So you'll get to meet them and see just how remarkable they both are in caring and understanding mental illness. And I'm so proud of them for how they've supported me and been so open and helping me to tell my story and loving me. So it's been awesome. That's awesome. It is a great book. It's Fast Girl. We're going to see her July 17th. Susie, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you joining Pace the Nation. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, you guys. All right. There she goes. That's Susie Faber-Hamilton. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the program. Thanks again to Susie Favor-Hamilton for joining us and talking about Fast Girl. Interesting interview. You know, I, I always think it's better in studio, so hopefully the audio uh, worked for, for the listeners. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we wanted, to promote her. we wanted to promote her at book club next week, so we wanted to get this show out this week. So that was one of the reasons why we did not have her in studio. But uh, still, I think, an interesting... Yeah, show there. Why are you telling everybody that she wasn't in studio? <laughs> well, I, they I, probably didn't know, even know. I just I was worried about the audio quality. That's all. Yeah, I think people can tell when it's on the phone. Uh, and yeah. Docs includes the little ring ring. Yeah, mm. that's true. Yeah, that, that is true. Um, you know what I thought was interesting about the interview yeah. was that in the same interview we had the most decorated NCAA athlete of all time, yes. and the least decorated NCAA athlete of all time, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I think you, there's probably you got some varsity letters, so I think there's probably some people who are less decorated. Oh, uh, is varsity lettering uh, count as decoration? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it up against her nine <laughs> NCAA championships. Yeah, but I don't know. Well, I, I just feel like I tied for last. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I was right there with you, pal. So I think you scored at at uh, ACC. I did. Track. Look at that. He remembers. Yeah, I did not score in track at ACCs. Well, I uh, track th- wasn't my thing. I thought the interview was fantastic. I love the part about Dr. Phil 
So mm-hmm. I think I'm probably not going to watch Doctor Phil anymore. Mm-hmm. You're easily impressioned. <laughs> that was uh, that was that was uh, out of all the good stuff there. I take away Doctor Phil. Uh, I also uh, she knew that a post one of your posters was of her. Yeah. Why else would I ask the question? She's she's <laughs> humble. She didn't uh-huh. want to. She didn't want to say uh, her her own name. Although one of the interesting things was these were homemade posters. Oh, right. Well, actually, they were made at work on this giant color copier. Okay. So I had a I had a job over the summer. You couldn't spend the six dollars to get her poster. You I didn't, had to didn't need to. <laughs> but basically, what I, what what we did every day tells me a lot about this guy. No, this had nothing to do with the money. All right. The they had this color copier where I was interning over the summer. And one of the things I had to do was was go to the copier and put this uh, piece of paper on it. Okay. The the ink would would dry up. Whatever it was, the the, the heads would dry up, and it was like a hundred thousand dollars. This is a long time ago. I when, remember. When these, actually, I remember this. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And and the heads would dry up, and I was like, for a couple of days, I was making these gigantic posters that that were of nothing, just like like color, whatever. And I said, can I just make? Cool things with this. You would take a picture from a magazine mm-hmm. and then blow it up to a poster. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty innovative. At the, but Joanne could care less. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I thought it was. I asked the wrong. I asked. <laughs> I, I thought it was. I, I thought that was pretty cool at the time. The I problem is. That. The problem is. Even though that was my responsibility, I asked the wrong person. Right. If it was okay to do this. So it wasn't popular with everybody in the office that all these runners and Pearl Jam and whatever were, were spitting out of the, the <laughs> right. color copier. It's like this really nice guy who, who uh, uh, looked like Santa Claus who made me feel really bad about it one morning, mm-hmm. one uh, day at lunch. Anyway. That's how you got the Susie Favor poster. That's how I got the Susie Favor poster from a, a Runner's World magazine that I, that I uh, printed out some, some of the pictures. But the funny thing is that she was like trying to think of who had posters at that time. Right. And I was it like, didn't that's not going to help. That, that hint matter. is not going to help. But again, it was Todd Williams, Bob Kennedy, Bennett, Billy Mills, and Susie Favor Hamilton. Actually, it was just Susie Favor. Oh, that's true. Because it was a NCAA photos. The three... The three that I had were they were all when they were in NCAA because it was like an NCAA preview or something. Okay, well we can work on the other three guests. I think we can get them all. Mm-hmm. I think Billy Mills may be the toughest one, but I don't think so. Okay, well, I think we can get them all. We'll ha- ask yeah. all of them that question, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll see what their answers are. Right, and it, and it's it's also a dead giveaway that they're not a listener to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I I don't I, I don't know that for sure. I was with uh, Bob in in, in, a, in in Colorado. He was there, and I was telling him about the show. So maybe he's listening. Now. No, but I'm saying if they don't answer, if they can't answer the question when we ask them, that's true. Then it's a dead giveaway that that's, they didn't that's listen what to Susie's yeah. favorite show. Good, good, mm-hmm. good point. Mm-hmm. All right, this week in the news, all the news that's important to the hosts, interesting to the hosts, that's running related. Our one story is the Olympic trials. It's Joanna's favorite time of the year. It's the U.S. Olympic trials. Joanna, you like the Olympic trials better than uh, Halloween? Ooh, um, I mean, there's there's definitely more drama in the trials. That's true. It is it is summer. It's more. Though. It's, it's yeah, summer, exactly. So, yeah, and I and yeah. I typically okay. like. So I lied. Yeah, I watch. Well, favorite time of the year. It's not my favorite, but it's up there. Okay. Also, it doesn't happen every year. That's true. Yeah. All right, that's true. Well, let me amend that. It's uh, one of Joanna's favorite events every four years. It's the Olympic Trials. Yeah, that's more accurate. <laughs> uh, so the Olympic Trials are happening. A few good races out there. 
no other race was talked as much about uh, than the women's 800 meters. I'm because glad I watched ha- it. It was heartbreaking. Uh, I don't know if it was heartbreaking. All right, I think it was heartbreaking. For, for me, I don't, I don't know if I was heartbroken. What uh, was heartbreaking about it, Joanna? Well, because I really like Brenda Martinez, yeah. and I think she was well-positioned yes. to make the team, and I think that she was not intending to run the 15, and now... She can't run. Well, she didn't make the team in the 800, so now uh-huh. she's going to run the 15. So for for anybody that, that didn't watch the race. For the losers. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Susie Faber. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry to our guest. Yeah. Probably with about 150 meters to go, Alicia Montagna tangled feet with Brenda Martinez, mm-hmm. who was, as Joanna indicated, in position, in a really good position to make the top three which would qualify for her for the olympic team they tangled feet both fell and incorrect brenda didn't actually fall she just windmilled her arms she, she stumbled and she was out of contention yeah yeah and alicia took 20 minutes to finish the last 150 <laughs> meters <laughs> yep uh so we missed out on some commercials or something i guess well I, well I think what was lost in that and why i say i i don't think it was a bad thing is kate grace won the 800 meters and yeah, this makes her first Olympic team. And I'm a big Kate Grace fan. I am too. And I, I've been talking about Kate Grace all, all year yeah. because Andy, who does the transfers in the store, he has been very anti Kate Grace. He didn't think that she would make the team. Andy, how dare you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what but I think, I think that even with, uh, with Brenda in the race to the, in contention, I think that Kate Grace if, still would have made the team. She definitely would. She finished first. What's the with adding one more racer to the to the finish means that no her, worst worst case scenario, Kate Grace gets second. Yeah, and that still makes the team. Yeah, I definitely thought she'd be in the top three. Yeah, it didn't. I don't, I don't think that affected it. Kate Grace had a had a great race. Um, I'm with you because I I feel like it wasn't Brenda Martinez's fault that she got tangled up there mm-hmm. and i think she is one of the uh, best middle distance runners for the united states no doubt so uh, I, that was disappointing as well um montoya was it was a joke <laughs> i think that's that's the story there yeah you said it docs yeah i mean the, the theatrics joanna what what do you think of her coming down the stretch too much drama for me. I mean, it's just too. It's just too. <laughs> much. I mean, I I get it that it's really tough to fall, and she had a baby, and she came back from that. She wasn't going to make the team. Yeah, I I get that, but I I also feel like you get up and you finish the race, and then and then you cry privately. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just too New England for this. I can't yeah. I can't stand this like take two steps and then fall to the track, get up, take two steps. Like I get that people have emotions in these high powered races. I just would have liked to see her finish the race and. Yeah. Keep herself a little bit more composed. An unnamed friend texted Docs and I and said, who was the sniper who kept shooting her every, <laughs> every 20 meters in the, the I top thought she, of the I thought Eugene she was stands. injured. Like, I thought something... I thought so, too, yeah. I, I was like, something has to have happened mm-hmm. to, like, an ankle or a hamstring mm-hmm. or something. I was waiting for Linford Christie's dad to jump out of the stand <laughs> and help her across the finish line. That is an old school <laughs> reference. Uh, yeah, I just thought there, there was too much look at me, make it about me. When in my mind she wasn't going to make the team, I didn't, think she was I didn't like her running pregnant and all those theatrics that uh, made it all about her. And she did the whole uh, media, you know, series after that that whole deal. Then in the, in the uh, I, I guess that was the the trials for the world team a couple of years ago or last mm-hmm. year. 
just just too much. There's a lot of great athletes out there who just made the Olympic team. Yeah. Three, of, three of them there. Speaking of which, uh, let's focus back on Kate Grace, who yes. should be a friend of the podcast. Why has she not yeah. been on the podcast? We, we, yet? Will yeah. get, we will get her on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. love to have Kate Grace she, on the podcast. She was, she was at, yeah. at our wedding, and yeah, she'll definitely be on, on the show. So we'll, we'll get her. We'll have to check, uh, see what, what her uh, schedule is before Rio. Or... Joanna and I can go down to Brazil and interview her. In, are in you, Rio. You're not scared of Zika? I don't plan on getting pregnant this year. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll definitely have her on. We'll, we'll start We'll start the ball in motion of getting her on the on the program. Well, I'm uh, sure she's a listener, so she'll... She'll just call us. <laughs> she'll call hey, us, yeah. Hey, she's Kate, texting you me call now. Us. Yeah, yeah. No, so that, that, was, that was awesome. Her first Olympic team. A huge deal for Kate Grace. A huge deal for Wassell. Yes, I, I'm I'm sorry that I just interrupted you on that uh, yeah. because that's exactly what, what sh- we should be talking about, okay. and everybody can hit the fast forward button to get there. Uh, <laughs> but complete contrast to what was going on at the end of the race, Kate Grace's reaction on her victory lap was pretty awesome. Yep, and and it was it was genuine. Uh, I can't believe this happened, um, and that that was pretty fun too. You know, yeah, I, I liked her when she finished as well. It wasn't like she had some sort of like planned celebration. Obviously, mm-hmm. that she was just pretty much in shock that she mm-hmm. had won, and they, that authentic. And even in the there, interview, and even in the interview, in the interview yeah, yeah, that that is uh, that that I can get behind. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was that was pretty cool. Uh, but I mentioned Wassell, and I really wanted. Joanna's opinion on on mm-hmm. this because they've been in in the track circle track nerd circles here. They've uh, I think they've they've spilled into the mainstream, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, so tell us what's going on there. So Moselle had posted a photo on their Instagram account of Kate Grace when she finished um, as the national champion heading to Rio. And uh, they congratulated her in their post. And the U.S. Olympic Committee contacted them as, for a cease and desist to have Wazelle take this down because there's something in track and field called Rule 40, um, which is what Wazelle is citing this is a violation of, which is you, if you're not an Olympic sponsor, which Wazelle is not an Olympic sponsor, you can't post any pictures uh, that congratulate uh, your athletes or talk about the Olympics or the trials or going to Rio. You can't use words like bronze or silver or Olympics or Olympiad. There's a whole list of things that you can't post. And athletes can't post anything related to sponsors that are not Olympic sponsors. Okay. In relation to making the team. In relation to making the team, mm-hmm. yeah. And this was a rule that surprised Wazelle when, no, when they no. posted this? They they definitely know about it. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of dirt being kicked about in on the message boards, it's on mm. Reddit now. Um there's there's been a lot of articles and Wazelle is uh, very aware of this rule. Sally wrote, wrote a post in March about Rule 40 because the rules did change this year. This is a brilliant marketing ploy, mm-hmm. in in my opinion, because it was Sally Sally, who is the you know we interviewed her on the show. She's the uh, CEO of Wazelle. She knows exactly what the rule is, and mm-hmm. she's calling attention to it by calling out how she thinks it's unfair. Right. I mean, I I have to agree with her and the defenders. I have to agree. Yes, it's a silly rule. 
But it is a rule. That I don't know if it's a silly rule, but well, and the reason that it exists, there is mm-hmm. there is some, you know, there's a reason it's there, and that is that there the Olympic sponsors pay a lot of money yes. to be Olympic mm-hmm. sponsors. It's estimated it's about one billion dollars over the the four year Olympic mm-hmm. cycle, um, and obviously this helps the Olympics a lot to have these big sponsors. So it's protecting their rights as as sponsors to have. Right. control over to marketing but the problem is that this rule is written before social media was such a big part of our lives it's very hard to control social media and these posts are not meant to be marketing well, or advertising but right. yet they end up being that well but this is this is one of the things that 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 Wazelle did they knew that they couldn't post that they they're very familiar with the rules mm-hmm. they they knew that the picture and the post that they did and that was retweeted screen grabs and they got the cease and desist and they took it down but it's out there, and and now people are spreading this this post. They're, they're spreading everything that they've posted anyway, even though Wazelle has taken it down, and and so they're getting their message out there anyway. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I also I I tip mm-hmm. my hat to the uh, the way they've they've circumvented that. Um, yeah, like like you said, it's a brilliant marketing move, and you hit me to that. I I didn't really because I sort of take the the different angle, and I'll I'll, I'll sort of make this analogy Mm -hmm. right we pay a lot of money here we're at the studio 1a here at uh you know in clarendon Mm -hmm. right across the street from oh don't don't (laughs) don't roll your eyes at me joanna at at studio 1a (laughs) is here at a a very high density area in clarendon Mm -hmm. very expensive rent yes right so no i'm not bragging i'm just saying Mm -hmm. like there's very expensive rent that we pay to be Mm -hmm. there yeah so what if Joe's running shop decides to put a table outside where all the runners are coming to our 3100 Clarendon Boulevard, come shop with us this weekend. If they're coming to our store here, Pacers Running Store in Clarendon, and Joe's running shop has set up shop out there for free and trying to sell their wares, um, I mean, that's that, I would be upset as... I think I think you're giving an example that's going to be very difficult for our listeners to identify with. Yeah, um, it's also not. Uh, y- you need to bring your argument into the realm of social media because, again, this rule was designed to protect advertising and marketing, which used to be much different than social media is now. All right. Well, what if they're using social media to that to to use somehow use my location that I'm paying rent for? to sell their products that they're not paying they're not helping me with the rent why should joe's running shop be able to sell products off the the backs of my rent that i'm paying because i mean if if this is a hard example to okay maybe it's not a good analogy yeah and Uh, i will say that the rule did change for this olympic cycle because last year if you'll remember don harper who's a, a, a u.s hurdler she she posted a picture in her twitter account of her of tape over her mouth that said rule 40 because she couldn't thank her sponsors on twitter for helping her get to the olympics because obviously you know they're they're helping her through her training mm-hmm. well, so, so the rule that changed this year was that in january you could submit a, a marketing campaign featuring your athletes if you were a non-olympic sponsor but it had to start it had to be on the air starting march 27th and it had to run through the olympics and that's very expensive to have a marketing campaign mm-hmm. from from march to august and when you have a small company like Wazelle, they they can't afford that yeah. and also how can you choose when you haven't even had qualifiers for the olympics in in january who who you think is going to make the team also jinx 
how many runners have appeared on the cover of runner's world and then didn't make the olympic team or didn't perform at the olympics well i'm going to go back to why i think it's a silly rule okay and and i will say we we talked about this we covered this when nick simmons left the world team last year uh and i'm familiar with the the rule julie was telling us uh when you know when she ran in 2012 where there was like a blackout period before, during, and, and after the Olympics. I, I understand it. As, as far as the money that's spent by the sponsors of the Olympic team, I understand why they don't want other competing companies during that time to use their athletes and all of this stuff. But I, I think it's changed this year to as soon as they make the team, you're not allowed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's appropriate to, before you actually compete with the team, before you go to Rio, I think it's appropriate to thank the people that helped you get to where you were. And, you know, like with, with uh, Kate Grace, she ran for Wazell. Wazell gave her money. They, they helped, you know, get her where she was to make the team. I, I think that maybe at that moment they should say, okay, let everybody be excited about the athlete. And I understand that if she goes to Rio or when she's with the U.S. track team uh, in the training camp beforehand, she shouldn't be advertising Wazelle when she's part of the team. But I, I think that they're going a little bit too far here. That's well, that's my opinion. And I, and, I, and I disagree. I just think that these sponsors make it possible for there to be an Olympic Games. So – to give the opportunity for Kate Grace to make an Olympic team mm-hmm. for Wassell to have a, have an opportunity to have an Olympics and have a platform that, you know, that they can promote after the but, Olympics. But what if, what if they, there's gotta be a line in the sand for you, Farley. Well, there's got, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, okay. hold on. What if, what if they say this brand, you know, and I'm not even going to name any, any brands here, but what if they say this brand is the sponsor of the U S Olympic team and if you want to make the the next olympics in in 2020 you have to run for these companies otherwise you can't make the team what if what if they what if, i mean at some point they, they can they can keep making rules and keep extending it it's obviously more strict now than it was in 2012 and at some point there's got to be a line in the sand where, where you are going to disagree i i'm with you i mean you go back and check the tapes i'm with right. you like the money that they're spending I think that that it's not unreasonable. And when Nick Simmons was was fighting it, and I was saying to be part of the team, that's that's the rule, and and you should respect that. And I and I just think, yeah, I mean, so I, there has to be some sort of line. In your example, I don't want Nike to have to. I don't want you have to run for Nike to make the Olympic team. And I don't think we're going to get to that point. Well, I was I was uh, using hyperbole to to sure. to make it very obvious. But, but they they had to change the rules. They changed the rules. People knew the rules going in. Rule 40 has never been so publicized as, it, as it's been this year at the 2016 Olympic trials. So everybody knows the rules going in. These sponsors make it possible for Tracktown USA to have 20,000 people Yeah, for the Olympic Games to happen. For you to have a platform to actually, until these small companies are going to put on these races, they just can't do it. I'll say something else that, that that bothers me, and I'm okay with pe- with the with the awareness campaign, and and like Joanna said, I think that this was a brilliant marketing campaign. Oh, props to her for the um, yeah. I mean, they had shirts made, right? They were ready to go in advance, yeah, which you saw, so you know that they're aware of the rule. I I'm I don't appreciate people saying that the big companies are bullying them. 
Because I, I don't think that this is bullying. I think that's a misuse of the of the word bullying. And then the other thing was Kate Grace's uh, boyfriend posted something and he was like, my girlfriend won yeah. the Olympic trials. And then he goes on and writes like like this these long things. Why do you have to say that it's his girlfriend? Like, <laughs> what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, because he's like me. I had to say that she was at my wedding. Yeah, that exactly. I, yeah. That I know exactly. Bob Kennedy. Like, I, yeah. I, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah that, I understand yeah. that. Well, I just, I just yeah. have no respect <laughs> okay. for this guy after reading this. No what? offense to yeah. uh, our future yeah, guest yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can relate there. So, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I see what you're saying. But I am just, I'm sort of for the big, big guy here who helped make these incredible events possible. And I think that gets lost. Like, everybody hates on Nike. Well, you know what? We went to the Olympic trials in 2004 when it was in Sacramento. Brag much. There was about 2,000 <laughs> 2, people there. Okay. There is 20,000 people there daily at this event. Yeah. If it wasn't for Nike, that wouldn't be possible. And and they do great things for the sport, too. And, and once you make the team and... They and do great things for the, every athlete who isn't running for Nike. Yeah. The only reason why athletes are actually... Including Boris. Yeah. yeah well, his, <laughs> well, they did, well, they did get... And I had a bad source, obviously. But they did get his contract, you know... Up to the point where, where he's ready to sign with New Balance. All right. Well, I, I don't think we're going to solve. I, I think it's appropriate for us to talk about. I don't think we're going to solve the issue of Rule 40. I think we honestly, I think we all have slightly contrasting opinions on Rule 40, which yeah. is fine. Um, My analogy was terrible. I admit that. <laughs> but may I should have made it about the podcast. What if somebody else wanted on this podcast a competing podcast. Yeah, my my biggest problem with the trial streaming is that I would like to see every step of the race and yeah. instead we're lucky if we see an entire lap. And I uh, I know that we have the technology to do insets right. in no. today's world because I see them all the time when I'm at a sports bar and one time during one race did I see an inset when they were interviewing uh, like a javelin guy? Right. And I was yeah. like, why couldn't we have... I get that most people in America don't care about track and field and a 10,000 meter race would uh -huh. be really boring for them, but I actually want to see the whole race. Yes, so did I. Well, yeah. like I think you're, you're stealing my joke because I think I texted you guys and said that uh, it's too bad we don't have gigantic TVs <laughs> uh, where picture in picture might, might be helpful. But that was very frustrating watching the, the 10,000 meters and they they break away from the action and they're interviewing shot putters and then they go back to the 10,000 meters and the pack is broken up you have no idea how the like who made the move and how it worked and all this kind of stuff and those those are the interesting intricacies of a long the distance race. race like that and they don't even they have it all on tape they don't even go back and show you the interesting part you know well cuz i think for most people they wouldn't find like what's interesting is who wins yeah. And I think for me personally, I think Netflix has changed the way that we view TV. And instead of having major networks dictate what we'll watch or what's important, Netflix has allowed us to choose what we want to watch mm -hmm. when we want to watch it. And I wish that we could just like Netflix the whole trial. Joanna, I agree. Um, back when you were just a, a young kid, was it NBC? Who had the who had the rights? They had uh, the red, white and blue pay per view channels for the Olympics. I think that was in Barcelona in the 92 Olympics where you couldn't watch anything you had to pay for. It was all pay-per-view. I think it was a big failure. Wow. And that's why, yeah, they didn't do it anymore. But, yeah, but, <laughs> but at least you would get uninterrupted action from what I recall from that. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know why they don't put it on the Internet or something like that. that mm -hmm. 
And they have exclusive rights, so you don't even have the option to be able to see the entire race unless you right. go. Or if you have a friend in the stands that periscopes the race. Yeah, that's true. And just follow them on S- periscope. Somehow I feel like that would be a violation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's, well uh, yeah, I guess so. You shouldn't have said it on the show. Yeah, because Tara Landy's there, and she maybe could have done that for us. <laughs> Uh, but you mentioned the 10,000 meters. Uh-huh. Important for the show. Molly Huddle, former guest, yes. was the champion there. Decisive, so champion. Our, Decisive champion. Our first former guest to make the Olympic team. Yeah, yeah, the many first more. of many, yeah. The first of many. So that was exciting. Congratulations to her. Uh, additionally, uh, Ashley Higginson was uh, moved on in the 3,000 meter steeplechase. Which is tonight. Which will be the tonight. finals tonight. Yeah. So we're really rooting for her tonight. Uh, to make that uh, make that team, it's going to be tough. They look like a number of good competitors there in the three K steeple. By the time this show posts, the Olympic trials will will be over, but we still have four days of looking forward to it, mm-hmm. including the men's five thousand meter final, which will hopefully be broadcast by us. Yes, uh, at the Pace the Nation podcast on the Beer Mile That's on right. Saturday. Hopefully, so are we not? I thought I'm that was a glad done you thing. Well, that. I'm just reading the document that <laughs> Kathy sent, and she said Farley's in charge of it, and I'm nervous. Well, it will be on the the men's 5K, so hopefully everybody can stick around after they participate in the Beer Mile, the sold out Beer Mile uh, that is happening this Saturday night. It's going to be a warm one, guys. So hopefully, Blue Jacket is brewing us some nice light hydrating beer right mm-hmm. now which i'm sure they are yeah they're starting it today and it'll be ready by saturday <laughs> is that how it works it, yeah yeah we will be podcasting from uh the from the event and uh-huh. we will show the 5000 meter men's finals that night yeah i'm i'm also uh from the document that kathy sent says that farley's in charge of transporting the podcast equipment over to the uh to the Navy Yard, and I was excited about that well, I, because I, I don't have to do it because according <laughs> to the document Kath, Kathy said sent out, you're doing it. I, I thought I could delegate that task. No, so you I, have to follow Kathy's no, instructions. I, I, I was going to delegate yeah. that to you. And again, uh, with our struggle with the space-time continuum, this all already happened. Yes, so hopefully everybody had a great time out there. I'm sure they at did. The beer mile. I'm so excited that we won our heat. That was That awesome. was amazing. That was cool. Well done, uh, guys. Yeah. Well done, Kelly. Was, yeah, Kelly. It was all Kelly. Uh, I was very nervous about how uh, our place after I did so terribly to open up. <laughs> uh, but the three of you did a great job recovering for the team. So congrats so. to you guys. I thought so. Uh, very honored to be on the team with you all. Well, we were, we were, we were happy to uh, pick up your slack, Docs. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. All right. This podcast, of course, is sponsored by Pacers Running. Pacers Running with five area D.C. locations. Pacers Run Running is for every run. Additionally, we have a store in Princeton, New Jersey. Pacers Princeton at 7 Palmer Square. All right, great show, guys. Thanks again to our guest, three-time Olympian, Susie Favor-Hamilton, who joined us on the program to promote her book, Fast Girl. A very interesting... I thought a very interesting interview with her. Great to have her on the program. It'll be great to see her next week, July 17th at Navy Yard for that book club event. Also want to give a shout out to Heather Jeff for making a lot of it possible behind the scenes with Susie. Awesome work there, Heather. I also want to thank uh, our intern, of course, Kelly Grant, for doing so much work behind the scenes. Great job this weekend at the Beer Mile. All right. 
For William E. Docs, Joanna E. Russo, I'm Chris Farley. This is Pace Nation. We'll see you next week. Hey, Susie, there you are. Is that better? That is better. Thank you. Um, okay, great. How are you? I'm doing great. And you? Oh, we are doing great. I'm Chris, and we've got Joanna. Say hello, Joanna. Hi, Susie. And we also, Hi, Joanna. We also have Docs. Docs is here. Is Docs. I'm, I'm just waiting for Farley to tell me to say hi. Yeah, say hi. <laughs> <laughs> hello. 